Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as Ravinder insists I say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do, a time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Ellen Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment, and I learn a lot from our guests, and over the years now, I have learned that when you think you know it all, you're really in trouble. All right, my partner Ravinder is here in the studio with me, so Rav, say hello to everyone, share your special insight for the day, and please tell everyone how they can learn more about our show as well as... Tune in live and listen to the streaming event through KKNW. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad that you can join us. Yeah, your comments this morning about um, if you think you know everything, then you really don't know anything at all. That reminds me of, you know, what my mom always used to say to me, too. You know, she basically said a person when they're 20 thinks they know everything and when they're 30 well they may have a few questions and when they're 40 they've got plenty of questions and as you keep going up you discover you don't know anything at all and that's part of the growing process when you think you don't know you can open yourself up to learning a whole lot more and right now I think we all need to be more open to learning more about everyone else our brothers and sisters out there whatever their views be open talk communicate listen um, to learn more about Provocative Enlightenment Radio, you can go to our website, simply Provocative Enlightenment Radio, uh, or ProvocativeEnlightenment.com, um, and then we also have a Facebook page, so just do a search for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. Any important information that is given out um, on the air, I will post up on that Facebook page as well. Um, yes, as we've said that, you know, all of our shows are in our archives at provocativeenlightenment.com. Um, and then to tune in live, um, we have an easy link provided at provocativeenlightenment.com or you can just search for the KKNW app in the app store and then you'll have easy access to all the great shows that KKNW has. Great. Wonderful. All right. In this week's Spotlight. I want to focus on the subject of character. What character traits are indicative of well-being? Are there any? In 2004, Martin Seligman and Christopher Peterson published their findings regarding character in the book Character Strengths and Virtues. They studied 24 character traits. In a recent study, Scott Barry Kaufman, together with Spencer Greenberg, Susan Kane, collected data on 517 folks looking for a correlation between character, as described by Seligman and Peterson, and well-being. They found hope to be the top trait correlated with well-being. Now, I reported on Seligman's work with helpless, hopeless dogs in my book, Choices and Illusions. When Seligman delivered shock to dogs who could not escape the pad that carried the electric shock, he found that even when they were provided with a safe area and escape, they just laid there hopelessly and took the shock. In other words, the dogs had learned they were helpless. Indeed, they had learned it so well that they no longer tried to escape, even when escape was available. Further, Seligman found that the conditioned animals' immune systems weakened and their will to live diminished. Now, that should come as no surprise to the student familiar with the early work of Kurt Richter. 
for he drowned rats to measure learned helplessness. Richter used both domestic and wild rats and discovered that recently trapped wild rats drowned very quickly. Some simply swam to the bottom of the bucket, rammed a few times against the walls, and never came up again. They apparently accepted their situation as hopeless and drowned very quickly. Domestic rats did somewhat better, but they too drowned in no more than 15 minutes. However, when Richter rescued the rat and held it in his hand for a few moments, dried it off and gave it a rest before returning it to the water, the rats could swim for up to 60 hours before drowning. The hand of hope held out an apparent promise of rescue, and that provided the energy of hope. Hope is a powerful force. Repeated studies with animals, as gross as many of them are, have demonstrated that learned helplessness is a death sentence. This death sentence may well explain the many human deaths that follow when a person believes their life is without hope. Hopelessness and helplessness are something that often follows tragic events, like the Twin Towers or natural catastrophes, like tsunamis and hurricanes. Some people have been known to just lay down and die for no medical reason. Now, the second highest character trait correlated with well-being is, guess what? None other than gratitude. The gratitude attitude is all important when it comes to engendering a strong immune and endocrine system. I have suggested on many occasions to my audiences, begin your day with a smile and a thank you, and you will notice the difference very quickly. Smiling fools the brain. It's hardwired that way, and the brain releases those good-feeling neurochemicals, endorphins, and the thank you turns your focus toward the positive aspects of life-encouraging well-being. Okay, the third highest character strength positively correlated with well-being is love. Love of life. Gratitude encourages love. Hope feeds on love. A real connection with others and with nature spawns the sort of love that finds us loving every moment of our lives. Love excites joy. Unconditional love prospers. In an environment where hope, gratitude, and love abide. The bottom line message is, of course, well-being can arise as much from cognitive events as it can from the physical side of things. I have taught this for years, and indeed every InterTalk program includes hope, love, and gratitude messages of one sort or another. What's more, we feel this is so important that we offer our InterTalk freedom from feelings of helplessness and hopelessness free upon request to anyone who needs it but cannot afford it. All right. Those are my thoughts. And as always, I welcome yours. There you have it, Ravinder. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I am purposely not... I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to talk about, and that is how horrible those experiments are. So that is just said. Um, You know, hope, hope is what keeps me going. Um, you know, I'm an optimist. I, I, I have this ability to find something positive in almost everything that goes on. And if I don't, then I'm in real trouble. So no, I, I think optimism, it's worked for me. It's worked for me. So everything you say just makes perfect sense. You know, be grateful for what you've got. Things are so much easier for us than they are for other people. Um, yeah. All right, you know, those are only three of the 21 characteristics that have been pulled out. But our guest today has got some really interesting additional information, insight into how you can even engender these feelings. Uh, You know, assume you're in that place. It's, you know, COVID has me. I'm feeling pessimistic. Oh, you know, it it makes sense to me, but, but I just don't know how to go about doing it. Well, we're going to get into that today. 
we're going to make it easy for everybody. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. During last week's show, we discussed consciousness with Professor Philip Goff based on his work and book, Galileo's Error. Great book. I highly recommend it. Galen wrote, what a great show with Professor Goff. Thank you for such a rich, intelligent conversation. William wrote, great guest. I'm going to listen again soon. Brian wrote, heavy-duty stuff. Many people do not realize that advanced math and quite a number of science fields were once under the umbrella of philosophical studies. Well, indeed, you're right, Brian. The Ph.D. in any field literally means philosophy doctorate. Thus, a Ph.D. in chemistry holds a philosophy, a chemistry doctorate, and so forth. Moving on, Kerry wrote, I have been using and promoting your products over quite a few years. Most recently, I've been using the healing MP3 of guided imagery led by Eldon Taylor himself, which I have found enormously helpful. Good for you, Kerry. Lori wrote, I'm so happy that I found you several years ago. Your programs have helped me with addiction issues, codependence, and I love the self-confidence video. And Kelly wrote, we are almost all enculturated as a society to ask these questions about God, and they are very perplexing. Is one life worth more than another, and so forth? This is what I love about your books. They challenge my core beliefs, and in doing so, it helps me to hold beliefs a lot lighter. Since I have been listening to your intertalk recordings, I have been able to bring to awareness many beliefs I have held that have held me back for years. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kelly, and all of you for your letters. We like those, don't we, Ravinder? Yes, we do. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but please keep your comments coming. We do sincerely appreciate your feedback. You can opine by sending me an email to Eldon, E-L-D-O-N, Eldon at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. Now to today's show, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100 with author Marta Zaraska. This is a wonderful book. I, in fact, I love this one so much, I've got, I've already highlighted tons of it inside. And Ravinder is queued all up to get it from me as soon as, uh, well, as soon as the show's over. So, let me tell you a little about today's guest. Marta Zaraska is a freelance science journalist, travel writer, and ghostwriter, published in the Washington Post, Scientific America, the Boston Globe, the National Geographic Traveler. She is the author of two literary novels and a contributor to two travel books published by the National Geographic and the author of Meat Hooked, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat. Now, her new book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, Kindness Can Help You Live to 100, is not only the subject of today's show, but it is a Globe and Mail bestseller, and the Wall Street Journal says it's one of the best books of 2020 on aging. Okay, on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Marta Zaraska. Thank you so much for having me, Eldon. It's indeed a pleasure. I did love your book. We like to learn three things from our guests on this show, Marta. What is the message? Who is the messenger? And how do we use the information? To that end, please share with us what you're passionate about and why. Definitely, I'm passionate about science. As a science journalist, I'm always trying to dig in and find, you know, the truth and basically what's what really is happening, you know, behind. Sometimes media can be very confusing and especially messages around things like nutrition and healthy living. And uh, so I, what I do is I just read hundreds and hundreds of research papers. Basically, my days consists of reading a lot what's published in the best journals and trying to 
find what really is happening, what really science says, what's, what is the most agreed on message among scientists. And, um, and I write about exactly things like nutrition, healthy living, psychology as well. And in my private life, I'm also quite passionate about uh, you know, living healthy. I have a family and I make, try to make sure that everybody stays as healthy as possible, that we all live long. And, you know, in the past, I used to be quite obsessive, obsessive, I have to admit, about nutrition and exercise um, and, you know, going for all the fad diets and miracle foods. And then while, you know, at work, I was coming at the same time across more and more research showing that perhaps diet and exercise are not the only things that matter. They do matter a lot, but they are not the only things that matter and that there is this huge part of what makes us live healthy and, and long that I was completely overlooking in my private life. And that's exactly uh, kindness, friendship, volunteering, personality, or, or what you call character, uh, optimism, things that matter at least as much as diet and exercise. Cool. I share that, by the way, with you. You heard today's spotlight, Marta. What have I got wrong and or what would you like to add? I don't think you got anything wrong. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating what you've said, and that's absolutely correct. That character, you know, including things like optimism uh, or gratitude, or for example, not worrying, because worry is a really big uh, negative thing for our for our health. You know, things like neuroticism, for example, personality trait, again, is also very bad for our health. So there's plenty of different personality traits uh, that are connected to, to health and longevity. So you definitely got that correct. Okay, before we get into your book, let me ask you about a recent article of yours. Now, my wife is vegan by way of background. I mean, vegan to the extreme, if there is such a thing. Um, there has to be such a thing because, I mean, I'm telling you, she avoids dairy. She, she avoids anything and everything. She looks, she reads labels as though she were divining them. But okay, bless her heart. I'm nowhere near as devout. Um, uh, but I still share her concerns. So if I may, quoting from one of your articles, and I quote, Even though we seem inundated with vegan everything, vegan means, vegan cookbooks, vegan celebrities, meat consumption is going up all over the world. Global meat consumption is expected to increase 73% over 2010 levels by 2050. A large part of this upward trend is driven by developing countries such as China and India, but Western appetites for steaks and sausages are also on the rise. While data is still forthcoming, experts expect 2018 to have been a historic year for American meat eating, exceeding 222 pounds per person per year. Appetites are high even in progressive Scandinavia, between 1990 and 2017, the average consumption of meat in Sweden went up by 41%. That's all bad news. Close quote. Why is that bad news, Marta? I mean, from climate change perspective, you know, when you think about it, uh, if everybody on earth decided to go vegan, like your wife, uh, as of tomorrow, uh, from the carbon dioxide equivalent um, emissions perspective, that would be the same as if all transportation just disappeared off the face of Earth. So just imagine there will be like no cars, no planes, no ships, no trucks, nothing. You know, that kind of difference that would make to climate change. So obviously that will be enormous. And in a way, it's a very simple thing. Like we just all say, okay, we're not eating meat anymore. Uh, but as I said in that article, you know, this is not what's going on. This is not what's happening. Unfortunately, people are 
really hooked on meat and don't really want to give it up easily for a vast majority of people it's a really hard thing to do and even for you know it's also for our health as well there is so much research out there showing that eating meat is bad for us uh you know what i found particularly fascinating was that uh, i think it was in 2015 there was this famous announcement by who so world health organization um they connected meat eating re- eating red meat to cancer and they basically put um, um, put uh, things like sausages and bacon in the same uh, group as asbestos. Uh, so there were just articles everywhere saying, you know, bacon uh, will give you cancer. Sausages are the same as uh, you know asbestos. It was all over the media. You know, titles really, really shocking titles like that. And one month after that announcement, after the media frenzy around you know bacon and sausages equals asbestos, uh, I. I checked the the stats of the American Meat Institute and um, they showed that right after all this, the consumption of meat in the United States actually went up. So, which for me was, you know, mind-bogging that you hear, you know, how bad it is for your health, that is, you know, it may give you cancer and so on. And, And people went out and they actually bought more meat. So, so, you know, it's, yeah, we are, we really are hooked on it. You know, that seems counterintuitive to most people, that if indeed there are all these warnings, well, then why would consumption increase? But the research is real clear there in behavioral science. You can take a medicine, and and indeed, if you look historically over just the last half a dozen years, you can see this trend, because advertisers are aware of it. You take a medication, the more contraindications you list as available to that medication, the more that medication is sought. Uh, It's a bit like don't touch wet paint. It seems to have exactly the opposite effect, and study after study has shown that. But if that's the case, what's the answer, Marta? I mean, to make a stop eating meat, to make humans yeah, for, less of for it. lowering meat consumption for changing that problem for correcting it oh, it's a very difficult question that's for sure you know definitely i think there are several different paths you know for some people uh talking about animal rights and ethics really works for them you know watching a movie or some documentary about animal suffering it will it can turn them vegan. That works for some people. For other people, the health issues, exactly. They will make them go vegetarian or vegan. Uh, but I also believe that, you know, what I also show in Meat Hooked, that a very large part is basically through our taste buds. And, uh, you know, if people can find replacements for, for meat that taste the same, uh, they can they can change. So, and, you know, there is already in Singapore already the, the so-called clean meat or culture meat um, is already approved. So, you know, it used to also be known as the in vitro meat, horrible name. Uh, and it's it's already uh, it's already approved. So you know these things are really coming to stores very soon. So so maybe there is hope in that. Uh, maybe in plant based meats. I I just hope that the change is you know it's coming from different directions. And I, I I'm trying to be optimistic here, uh, for the sake of the planet mostly. And um, so I do believe it we will change, but it will take time. Do Do you think that you know? Alternative approaches like um, pea protein hamburgers or chicken patties, uh, soy, uh, meat lookalikes, meat so-called taste-alikes. Do you think that actually diminishes consumption of meat? Does that does that work for changing people's uh, habits, or does it have the opposite effect? I mean, it does a little bit. There is some research showing that it does change habits. They they are very slowly, you know, uh, taking over for some people, right? There is uh, there is still the vast majority of who just want their meat. Um, but it does work. And the better they taste, the, the more likely they are going to work. Basically, you know, in our Western culture, uh, we are used to certain uh, things always appearing on our plates. So basically, scientists say that we have four, four, four 
spot on our place. There is, a, you know, two spots for the veggies, one for some kind of grain starchy thing and like rice or potatoes. And there is one other spot for, for what we call the protein, right? So usually it's meat. And if you take away the meat, people start to panic because they, they end up with having having a hole on their plate and they don't know what to do with it. So actually a lot of, you know, the fact that we are not all going vegetarian stems from the fact that we just don't know how to cook vegetarian or vegan. People panic. They, they don't know what to eat. And uh, so this kind of products, you know, the, the protein replacements, the plant burgers, the bleeding burgers, the clean meat, cultured meat, they fill up that hole on the plate. So they make it easier for people to switch their, their diets, to change their diets. Companies doing selling that, making it available, their stocks are just incredibly uh, doing very, very well. One more question before we get into your book. Tell us about the Breakthrough Institute. What is that? <laughs> I do write articles for them. I don't know that many details about the organization. They just publish very interesting essays, and I've written two for them. Uh, I really cannot tell you much more. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we've got a hard break in front of us. When we come back, we're going to dive right into your book. We're speaking with Marta Zaraska about her work and book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. You can learn more about our guest and her book by visiting growingyoungthebook.com. As one word, growingyoungthebook.com. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Marta Zaraska about her work and book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. You can learn more about our guest and her book by visiting growingyoungthebook.com. Growingyoungthebook.com. It's a great read. All right, every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them, music psychology, is a hobby of mine and a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So now, your chosen music, Marta, is Wait For It, performed by Leslie Odom, Jr. Please tell us, why is this music important to you? And more importantly, how does it inform us about who you are? I'm not sure about that particular song, but I'm generally obsessed with Hamilton, and this is the soundtrack for, from the musical. Uh, I just find it absolutely beautiful. The, the whole musical is just amazing piece of art. You're going to leave it at that, huh? All right. I'm not really a psychologist of music, so I don't know what that song tells you about me, but uh, I just love Hamilton. All right. Let, let's... Get into your book, and let's start with some basics. You know, we're, we're living at a time of isolation due to COVID. And research has already suggested some long-term physical and psychological problems as a result of lockdowns. 
in fact, you discuss um, your work on loneliness and how it changes genes, um, particularly pro-inflammatory genes. So what, what are we to do? How is one to immunize themselves uh, against these potential problems? I mean, you're absolutely correct. Uh, loneliness and social isolation are really, really detrimental to our health. They, you know, people who are lonely, they, uh, they are two to two and a half to three times more likely to die prematurely. They have higher blood pressure, and as you've mentioned, they even have different gene expression. Uh, you know, particularly those that play a role, a central role in inflammation, but also uh, in promoting cancer progression and metastasis. Um, so it's definitely something very worrisome when we are living in the pandemic times when we are supposed to be isolating which we have to do uh, to you know stop the spread of the virus but on the other hand exactly it has all this detrimental health effects um, for us uh, I still believe you know first of all the pandemic is not a very long thing from the perspective of our lives and health. Um, when I talk to um, scientists about that, they generally say that we do not worry about this kind of temporary loneliness. Uh, for example, when people move to a new city, they also often experience um, isolation and loneliness at the very beginning, but usually it does not have long-term detrimental effects on their health. Usually the, the loneliness and isolation um, that uh, shows, shows up in those health studies, the one that affects our gene expression, is a very long-term chronic loneliness, chronic isolation. So, you know, if the pandemic lasted much, much longer, then we might start to worry, but hopefully it will be over soon and uh, all the effects will be, will be um, very temporary and won't affect our health uh, long-term. If it doesn't kill them in the process, that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, something that often surprises people about health and longevity is the role kindness plays. Why should we be kind, Marta, if we seek a long life? I mean, we evolved to be kind when you think about it. Uh, we are social apes. Uh, we evolved to be a very tribe. And, um, and um, you know, kindness is part of our caregiving system. Uh, again, something that we have evolved to be mostly first of all, able to take care of our unusually helpless young because human babies are uh, unbelievably helpless compared to other mammals. And um, so to care for them, we needed extra powers, you could say. Uh, so we have this caregiving system, which basically involves uh, rewards parts of our brain and also some fear parts of our brain, like the amygdala, amygdala for instance, and which is linked with, uh, for example, the sympathetic nervous system. And what happens when we care for others, whether our children or other humans, is that um, our stress response calms down. And it's a little bit like with putting your air mask on the plane uh, to be able to take care of others, first you have to take care of yourself. So you have to calm down. If you are panicking, if you are really stressed, very anxious, you are you are not a very good caregiver. Uh, so nature assured that to care for others, we first calm down. So our amygdala, the fear center, uh, calms down and the stress response, fight or flight response calms down. We get less cortisol, for instance, in our bodies. Uh, and we also find it very rewarding, hence this involvement of all these brain uh, reward areas. So we find caring for others uh, distressing and rewarding. And what it means for us these days is that exactly when we are either kind, you know, doing acts of kindness or volunteering or even donating money, uh, it calms, uh, calms us down. It uh, lowers our levels of our cortisol, of adrenaline, uh, improves functioning of our sympathetic nervous system. And with all the then long-term effects on our health, like, for example, lowering the risk of cardiovascular disease or diabetes and so on and so on. Uh, your book assumes that we all want to live a long life. 
I can remember a time in my life when I didn't want to live to become old. Many young people share that view today. Why should someone desire to grow old, live into their hundreds? I mean, so if you're in your 20s and you're looking at aging and you're saying, I don't want to live to be 100, let alone 80 or 90, sell us on the idea of why we would want to live that long in the first place, please. I mean, it's mostly about the quality of life in the first place, right? But the the interesting fact is usually that the quality and qu- uh, quantity go often together. So it's a common misconception that a longer life usually means m- more, m- many more years spent in firm, whereas in fact, people who live uh, particularly long to become centenarians or even super centenarians, so those who live 110 and more, they actually are usually much longer in a very good health uh, than people who die at your average 80, 82. Uh, So for instance, among those super centenarians, so those who live to 110 and more, uh, one out of 10 of them will escape disease until the very last three months of their life. So just imagine that, you know, you live to be 111, 112, and you are only really bedridden and really sick for your last three months. So it not doesn't only mean, you know, a long life, but it means a healthy and long life. And, you know, it's the same as with diet and exercise. Generally, if you improve your health in general, if you avoid cardiovascular disease, cancer, and so on, you will also generally live longer. So, you know, of course, everybody has heard of a story of some granny who lived to be 100 and, you know, spent the last 40 years in bed. But this is unusual. And in, it's a little bit the same, you know, as with someone's grandpa who smoked two packets a day and never had cancer. It happens. But a more common story is that if you are in good health, you will live, live longer. You will have better quality of life. So you're convinced that we should all look forward to a long life but to look forward to a long life we should be taking care of ourselves in that process so that the life has quality did i get that right yes absolutely so of course you know the focus should be mostly on the quality uh you know in the title there is how to live to 100 just because it's it was better for for the perspective of the title of a book uh it couldn't have been too long so but generally yes it's definitely about quality so you should strive to prevent all the diseases such as diabetes cardiovascular disease cancer uh and you can do that both by you know having a very good diet exercising but also uh following those soft drivers of health that i describe in my book so you know friendship optimism uh volunteering kindness as finding meaning in life. You, you provide a lot of tips in your book, uh, hints and, and, and guides for how we can change from, you know, having a more pessimistic attitude or, or not taking care of ourselves. But I think the most surprising of all to me is when you talk about looking your dogs in the eye. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yes, that's uh, that's a very popular tip. And it's about oxytocin. So this so-called love hormone, as it's very often called, although it's more complicated, just being love hormone, but um, it's one of our social hormones. And it's, uh, we get, it gets released, for instance, when you're holding hands with your beloved, or you're hugging a friend, or you're looking someone else into their eyes or into your dog's eyes. And um, on one hand, oxytocin makes us feel connected. um, And And uh, on the other hand, it has also very direct physiological effects on our bodies. For example, it has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, It promotes bone growth. Uh, And and it is true that there were studies showing that if you look into your dog's eyes, both you and the dog get the oxytocin boost. Oxytocin, of course, that feel-good love chemical. Uh, Here's a good one for you. Why is sex good for longevity and is it just as good if it's, you know, masturbation? 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know about masturbation. I definitely, you know, sex is and generally, you know, romantic relationships are extremely important for our longevity and for our health. Actually, you know, from all the things I write about in, in growing young, marriage or a happy romantic committed relationship is actually the most important thing the most the best thing you can do for your health and, and longevity and definitely sex is part of that so is living together just as good as uh, being married for your health i mean it depends so generally research shows that uh if a couple is committed and that means that they are planning to stay together for better or for worse, you know, you can say until death to us part, whether it's formally a marriage or not, uh, then they get all these benefits from the relationship. But when they just live together, but they don't really know where it's going, then you don't have the same level of benefits for your health. I have a counselor friend, Marta, who um, I, I you know, I try and encourage him to work out some because he's uh, got a bit of a weight problem and uh, blood pressure's high, um, but he's too busy. And he tells me he's too busy because he spends most of his work day counseling, helping people. And then he does a lot of volunteer work, uh, special volunteer work with the homeless. And so he really is the kind of guy that spends... Uh, 15 hours a day helping other people what's more important exercise or helping other people I mean, they are both. Actually, they are on the very same level of benefit for your body. So, for instance, volunteering can reduce your mortality risk by about 22%. And that's about as much as eating six or more servings of fruit and vegetables a day, or more or less the same as exercise. So, uh, but of course, the best would for your friend would be if he still exercised, right? So if he did the volunteering and found some time to do some exercise, at least. Uh, but certainly, you know, if he's not exercising, the volunteering does offset uh, some of the um, downsides of him not exercising. All right. Tell me about cosmetic surgeries. Um, Botox is a case in point, but any cosmetic surgery, how does that impact our overall longevity? I mean, so, I mean, it's very, very uh, still early on and, it's, you know, it's, you cannot really say that it really affects longevity a lot yet. Uh, there are just suge some suggestions in research. Basically, what happens is that, um, you know, our facial expressions uh, can trigger or change our emotions. It's called facial feedback. And um, what happens when people get Botox in injection is that, you know, this process, this facial feedback uh, malfunctions because people cannot frown, they cannot, you know, mimic expressions properly, they cannot, uh, and they also cannot identify feelings of others because they cannot mimic expressions of other people. And studies on, on people with Parkinson's disease who also have this kind of facial rigidity have uh, shown that they have trouble, for instance, keeping friends because of that problems with uh, emotional, the facial feedback and emotions. Um, and uh, so, you know, so there is some indication that the problems caused by not being able to read emotions or not being able to experience emotions properly could be detrimental uh, for people if they get this kind of um, injections. All right. Other than Botox in, in the face, are you saying that cosmetic surgeries themselves, um, they, they may make you, make you feel better about yourself? They're okay? I mean, I have nothing in my book. I haven't read any research on cosmetic surgery at, apart from this, uh, you know, some indications about Botox. But uh, uh, so I really cannot comment on that. All right. I read a study today, brand new study on linguistics. And of course, you know, linguistics impact the brain. Language um, affects the brain very directly. And according to this study, our diet, soft diet versus meat eater, influences dentition and linguistics. Um, is that another reason we should be thinking about soft diets? Well, okay, I would have to see the study myself. I, I admit I have not read it and I haven't ever seen anything about on that topic. So 
I really would have to see the study first. All right. It's a brand new study, University of Miami. Well, it's not brand new, but uh, you can find that in Science Daily or in the journal itself um, on linguistics. Um, You've already suggested to us that kind people live longer. But when you look around the world, that doesn't seem to be necessarily so. Where do you get that data from? I mean, from research, but why Why do you say that it's not necessarily true that uh, kind people live longer? Well, the, the general uh, caricature, if you will, of that older person, that grouchy, nasty uh, senior who's got no time, no use for younger people or for their music or for their way of doing things. Uh, that seems to be a generalized view. We have exceptions, um, but if you talk to any young person, their view of that older generation is close to what I just described. So that's why I say, where did you get data to suggest that these that the older people, those people that live into their hundreds, are really kind people? I mean, first of all, it may be just pure misconception that, you know, and stereotype that old people are grouchy also can be cultural as well. Um, so, you know, this kind of misconceptions, you know, they, they not, they're not necessarily true at all. But the second thing, you know, the people who even maybe very grouchy when they're 100, maybe they were very kind when they were in their 30s, 40s and 50s, you know. Um, and uh, but generally, you know, there is research showing also randomized experiments showing that performing acts of kindness um, has has beneficial effects on our physiology. So, for instance, there was one study down in California where um, the participants were randomized into two groups and one of the groups was uh, assigned um, to conduct random acts of kindness uh, very simple things but they had a, you know some ideas some suggestions were for for instance to buy a coffee for a stranger or you know to let people ahead of in traffic you know just just uh, to help some homeless people just Various or pick up trash in your neighborhood, um, very small kind acts, and um, afterwards uh, their blood was drawn for for various tests, and the scientists uh, discovered that the people who were randomized to the uh, to perform acts of kindness, uh, they had different gene expression uh, in their white blood cells, and their genes were less tuned towards inflammation and uh, more towards antiviral response. So they're better in fight at fighting viruses and uh, less prone to inflammation, which, of course, in long term can lead, for instance, to diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease. That's what I wanted to hear. All right. I, I hate okay. quantity. <laughs> I, I hate when people quantify qualitative things. But your book suggests that we should have a certain number of friends in order to live to be 100. Why is that? And what is that number? I mean, I never say that we ha we should have a certain number unless you mean that we shouldn't have zero because zero as your number of your friends is definitely very bad. But and unfortunately, this is what uh, what is true for a quarter of Americans because 25% of Americans say they don't they don't even have a single friend in whom they can confide. So that's not good for for health. But then um, the precise number of close friends you need is more of a personal thing. So as long as your needs are met as long as you feel that you have people on whom you can rely who can uh, be there for you when you're sick for instance uh, who will bring you soup in the middle of the night if you if you are feeling bad uh, then you know maybe one friend is all you need for another person you know that person may need three, four, even five very close friends to not feel lonely. So it is very personal. Um, but we do need to have these kind of people on whom we can always count on in our lives. So quality is more important than quantity. And yes. I mean, you know, you can, you can be on Facebook and have 150,000 so-called friends. but That doesn't count. <laughs> right. Okay, listen, we're... Getting short on time, so just a couple of quickies. How can your smartphone ruin your longevity? 
I mean, mostly because it spoils relationships. So there is already quite a lot of research showing that when people are fubbing, so basically it's a short from phone and snubbing, so paying attention to their phones instead of people around them, the relationship suffers. So even it's enough even to put your phone on the table when you're having a conversation with someone and that other person will judge the conversation as of much lower quality uh, where that phone not there um, so and of course relationships as I've mentioned before friendships romantic relationships are extremely important for our longevity and health uh, you know your marriage is more important according to uh, one meta-analysis of studies they've read than diet and exercise so uh, so you know if you are destroying it by paying more attention to your phone, then then definitely that's detrimental. Boy, I'm into that one. I hope you can get this one in in one minute. How to meditate for longer telomeres. Tell us how. I mean, so different types of meditation work. And, uh, you know, generally studies show that, you know, if you find something that's you enjoy so it can be mindfulness it can be yoga tai chi all these kind of uh practices are generally good for our health and yes there are some studies showing that meditation people who meditate have longer telomeres although i'm quite skeptical generally about measuring everything with telomeres but in general meditation is good for us so if you can get yourself into something it probably doesn't matter which practice just as long as it works for you and you enjoy it all right, we have 30 seconds. I want you to share with everyone how they can learn more about you, your book. So Growing Young can be purchased basically in all the usual spots when you find the bo find books, including Amazon. And uh, you can also check the book's website, which is www.growingyoungthebook.com. And you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm mzaraska, so M-Z-A-R-A-S-K-A. It's a great book, Growing Young by Marta Zaraska. And I'm going to suggest that you just go get a copy of this book because all we did was touch the fringe of what the book is packed full of. I want to thank you for sharing your work and experience with us, Marta, and we wish you the best in your endeavors to come. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time in same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.